Sorry, got a little emotional. Jesus paid it all. That's what's more exciting than that. So, good morning. Any any chief fans in here? Just curious. Yeah. So there's one guy in the back. There's a clapper. You know, I was praying this morning before church, and I was actually praying with my daughter. And one of the prayers that I prayed silently because she wouldn't understand. I didn't want to confuse her. I was praying. I was like, Lord, I know that you don't care about football games. Not really. I mean, not the game itself. And I'm not trying to be like, oh, this needs to happen. Or I mean, I'm, I'm praying for revival. I want something to happen. And, um, but the, the chief's owner is a Christian. And, uh, and you're the chief shepherd. And if it's not bad, <laughs> you just let them win. Like, if you're willing, just let them win. Let them beat Tom Brady, please. Uh, Anyway, that was a personal prayer. That's not your prayer. That's not you. Don't judge me. That's just me. That was my prayer. I was just sharing that with you. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, please turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there's actually some Bibles in front of the seats, underneath your seats, in front of you. And really, if you don't have a Bible at home, we would love for you to take that home with you, and that be a gift from us to you. We'd love you to have God's Word uh, on paper in a book in your home that, that you could use and but we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we've been studying God's Word. We've been talking about habits of grace, and we do this every year at the beginning of the year. Uh, somewhere in January, we, we begin this thought process of what habit can we form, a habit of grace, to receive God's grace can we form. And I use the illustration of football, and it's always close to the Super Bowl time, and so, you know... You, you might be, if you're a Chiefs fan, you might be hoping that Mahomes throws the ball like he always does and the receiver is there to catch it and they get yards, they get touchdown, they win. And, of course, that's the right thing to, to want. But uh, we relate that to habits of grace. You know, like habits in our lives are used to get us in the right place at the right time to receive from God. And so imagine if Mahomes threw the ball and there was no receiver there to catch it. What would happen? Well, there could be an interception by the enemy, you know, that could happen. Or they could just fall on the ground and there could be a wasted play, no yards, no touch, nothing. There could be nothing good done. And in that scenario, what good is that? And so you want to think of habits of grace as you being in the right place at the right time to receive from God. God says in his words that if you follow him, if you listen to his word, if you walk the path that he has before you, if you're in God's will, that is God's plan for your life. That will be the best that there can be for your life. It doesn't mean it's always easy or happy or smiles, but that's where God has created and designed you to be. And so these habits that we talk about every year, like prayer and sharing your faith, and this year, God's Word, connecting with God through His Word, you want to build this habit in your life, and I hope that you're building it in your life, that you're listening to the Bible, and you're reading the Bible, and you're, you're hearing from God at least four times a week, if you remember that video from the first week, that, that God's Word would be present in your life. And last week, we studied Psalm chapter 19. It's one of my favorite psalms. It's Beautiful in the way that it explains how God speaks to us through creation, that's verses 1 through 6, then through his word, verse 7 and 8. And we saw the last two weeks that God's law, his instruction is perfect. We saw that God's word feeds our soul. His testimony is trustworthy. It's good enough it makes us wise. It reveals true justice. It brings us joy. As we follow him, we find true joy in Christ. We have what the Bible calls, it's not just mere happiness, like you give a person a cookie and they're happy, 
but joy that's non-circumstantial. There's a relationship there. His commands are motivated by pure love, which are so sweet that he comes from a place. When he, when he commands something of you, it's coming from a heart that loves you. He loves you. It's coming from a place of love. And, and we saw at the end of verse 8 that his law, his word, the Bible, gives us clear vision. And so, now that we know a lot more about God's Word, the question is, how do we share it? How do we share God's Word with others? How do we spread the Word? How do we become God's people that are not just hearing it, but also sharing it with others? So for that, turn, to me, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'll start in verse 14, and we'll really focus on verse 16. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Now, let me stop right there. This is a letter written 2,000 years ago by a man named Paul. He was a missionary. He left his home. He left his job. He left his life to share with others about who Jesus is, about how God came to save us, to share the gospel. And as he was out being a missionary and spreading the word, he met a young man named Timothy. Timothy was younger, much maybe 30 years younger than Paul. Timothy was a young man, and young men to them is, is a man that's under 30. So Timothy was probably in his 20s. And this letter is Paul's last letter to him. And do you know where, where Paul left Timothy? Does anybody know the city he left him in? Ephesus. He left him in Ephesus to be a pastor there, to be a preacher there. And do you know what the largest church in that entire Mediterranean region was during that day? The church at Ephesus. Paul, Timothy was this young man, probably upper 20s, probably close to age 30, because we read in his letter, don't let anyone look down on you because of your age. Because you had to be 30. In this culture, if you were Jewish, you had to become 30 years old before you could become a high priest. You weren't allowed to fulfill your high priestly duties until you were 30 years old. So there was almost this artificial line of age at age 30. And so Timothy was young. He was probably around 30. And he was the young pastor of a mega church, one of the largest churches in that entire area, a, a hop in place, a mega city in Ephesus. And he writes him this final letter and he says, listen, for, as for you, you continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. He's talking about the Bible, he, and he, you see that in verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with, the, acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul is writing him and it says, you need to continue learning in, in, what, in what you have firmly believed, which means you can learn about the Bible and not firmly believe it. So he's telling them, don't just have it up here. Have you ever heard a story from the Bible and you doubted and you had doubts and you're like, I don't know how true that is. Or you, maybe you learned something. Paul's saying you need to not just learning it, but you need to firmly believe it. There are people that hear the word, they hear God's word, but they don't believe it. They learn it, but they don't believe it. And he's saying you, what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, meaning it matters who you learned it from. Who did, who did Timothy learn from? His mother and his grandmother. Uh, Pastor Dave, who preached a while back, he, he preached on the North Star, if you remember that. And he talked about, what's your North Star? What's your guiding star? And he used 2 Timothy. And he talked about how Timothy was raised by his mother and his grandmother. I think it was Lois. 
he, he was raised by his mom and his grandmother. His, his Gentile father was not named. There's this speculation in church history where we think, Timothy probably didn't have a good dad. He probably didn't have a faithful dad. And that's probably why he, he gravitated so strongly to Paul. Why Paul was like a father in the faith to him. Why, why Paul said, you're like a son in the faith to me. And, but Timothy learned from his mom, from his grandmother, how good God is. And he learned these sacred writings. And so it matters who you learn it from. And then Paul explains in one sentence, in verse 16, in just one sentence, what Scripture does for us and through us. And so look, look in verse 16. It says, all Scripture, he's been talking about the Bible. He's like, don't you forget it. You firmly believe it. Remember who you learned it from. It's the sacred writings. Hold fast to it. And then he says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. He gives four ways in which God uses his word in our lives and the way that we spread it and use it and it's applied in our lives. And he says that all scripture is God-breathed or like what Pastor Dave shared about, it's more about expiration than inspiration. It's God-breathed, that God, this is God's very word, that this is him. If he's talking to you, this is what he would say. And he gives those four ways and he says that the, that the man or person, any person, male or female, any, that the person of God may be complete. That idea for complete means mature. That a, a godly person, someone who trusted him, can be truly mature, can grow, can be mature, equipped for every good work, meaning God has a purpose for us. He has good works for you. He wants you to do something. God has something planned for your life. He has good works ahead of you. And so we share God's word because it's beneficial and rewarding in four ways. And so we're going to look at those four words and look at four ways in which God's word is beneficial and it's rewarding to us and to others how we use it. And number one is the Bible, God's word, teaches us truth. We share God's word, we receive it and we share it because God's word teaches us truth. That's what that word teaching means. A definition of that word teaching means giving instruction that explains the who, what, where, when, why, and how. It's the content and explanation of the Bible. This is the act of teaching. And God's word is profitable, meaning it's beneficial, it's good to teach us, to show us what it is. An example would be like a map. If you've ever seen a map, you see a map there, that's of Virginia actually, and you see the, the legends, that green stuff that's circling. That's just explaining how the map works. But if you were to look at that map, if I were to give you a map of Kansas, what would that map be telling you? It would be telling you what's there, what cities are there, what roads are there, what landmarks are there, what even maps have geography. It shows you about the landscape. It gives you directions. A map just shows you what's there. Well, that's the idea of teaching. God's word is beneficial and rewarding for you. It will show you what's there. It will explain to you this is what's here. It's, it's the explanation content of scripture. And so when you're wanting to teach someone else, what heart attitude should you have? Have, have, has anybody ever had a bad teacher? Don't say their name, but has anybody ever had a bad teacher? And, and, and it's not your pastor, okay? Don't say that. That's, that's mean, okay? But if you've had a bad teacher, you know what a bad teacher is. A bad teacher is someone who doesn't really explain anything. You don't know what's happening. You, you're, you're wanting more. You show me what this really is. And so when you're teaching someone else, you want to be a good teacher to them, and that's you having a heart and an attitude of, hey, let me tell you. That's the, that's the posture. That's the heart attitude that you want to come to. When you share God's word with someone else, it's this idea of, hey, let me tell you. 
God's word is profitable for teaching. So let me, let me tell you what God's word says. So God's word is beneficial and rewarding by teaching us truth. And also, number two, it stops us from hurting ourselves or others. That's the idea of reproof. So God's word is profitable to stop you from sinning. That's the idea. And if I were to give you the practical application, what is sin? Sin is when you break God's law. You don't do what God says or you do what God tells you not to do. You, you don't do what he wants you to do. So sin is breaking God's law. And when you think about it on a practical level, just an everyday level, when you're sinning, you're hurting yourself and others. You're grieving the Spirit, the Scripture says. You can grieve or quench the Holy Spirit through your sin, through your disobedience. You're, you're hurting yourself because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. James tells us that when temptation or when that desire is conceived, it gives birth to death. It gives birth to death. You only produce destruction and damage when you sin. And so God's Word is profitable and rewarding. It's beneficial for reproof, meaning it will stop you. Think of it like a stop sign or think of it like a U-turn. God's word, unlike a map, you know, a map tells you what's there. The idea of reproof, which is different than teaching, the idea is, hey, don't go down that road. You need to stop. That's the wrong way. Or you need to stop right here. There's danger coming by. Don't take another step. Don't go another step forward. Or listen, you need to turn around. This pathway is going to lead you to death. You don't want to go that way. And God's word is profitable that way. So we, when we share it with others, if you reprove someone or rebuke someone, you want to have the hard attitude of, hey, let God's truth stop you. T share with them the truth. Teach them the truth, but have a humble attitude of, listen, let, let the truth stop you. Don't go any farther, or if they're in sin, you stop them right there. Listen, this is destroying your life. Stop where you are. Don't go any further. Let the truth stop you. And in order to rebuke someone, by the way, you want to build a bridge between you and them. You want to have enough love and relationship with you to be able to share with them. Now, this can happen with a stranger. If you're full of the Spirit and God's telling you to share with someone and you start sharing to someone, God's love will be flowing through you if you're full of the Spirit because God's love is patient and kind and the way the Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience. God's love will be through you. You show them love. Now, they may not always receive it, but you still win when you share. But you want some kind of a bridge to say, hey, this is killing you. You don't want to do this. And so when you're using God's word to share with others, and when it comes to reproof, when you realize, now nah, i got to stop them, you want to think, okay, let the truth stop you. I love you. Out of love, I want you to let the truth stop you. So God's word is beneficial and rewarding by teaching us the truth. It's beneficial and rewarding in stopping us from hurting ourselves and others. And third, it helps us get back up. This is the idea of correction. Now, I know a lot of Christians even, just because, I mean, how many word studies can you do in your lifetime? They don't know the difference between correction and reproof. A lot of people think correction and reproof is the same thing. The main reason why is in English, they're pretty much the same thing, aren't they? In English, you think of correcting as, hey, hey, don't do that. Have you ever corrected your kids? Hey, stop doing that. You think of the word correction. That's not this word in this language. It's not the idea for our idea of correction. The idea of correction, if you were to look up the definition, it means bringing improvement or restoration to life. The idea is, hey, now that you've been rebuked and you've stopped, let's say you're an addict and you come and you say, listen, I'm doing the wrong things, I'm ruining my life, I want to stop. 
okay, now that you've been rebuked and you've received it, how can you move forward? Let me help you move forward. Let me help you get up. God's word is profitable and beneficial for correction, meaning God's word can help us get back up. If you find yourself that I went down the wrong road and I'm in the wrong place, God's word can help you get from there to the throne of mercy. It can help you get to the throne of grace. It can show you how to turn around. It's almost like a GPS. A GPS, I don't know if you've ever uh, used a GPS. I remember back in the day, my sister bought me a TomTom. That used to be a thing before phones were smarter than everybody else. Um, And she gave me this TomTom, and I used to drive from Mississippi to Michigan. And there was one time I was driving my 1991 Saturn SL stick shift with a seat missing. The roof was torn on the underneath. The doors didn't work right, and, uh, and it looked like it shouldn't have made any, it shouldn't have gone forward, but it worked. And I drove all the way from Mississippi to Michigan multiple times, and she gave me a TomTom, and, and uh, I remember one time I had it, and the directions on it, this GPS, uh, I was going the wrong way because I needed to stop for gas. I had to turn around. And all of a sudden, it's like redirecting, rerouting, blah, blah. And she just, this lady, because I had it on the lady's voice, because I don't want a man telling me what to do. I'm used to a lady telling me what to do. So I'm like, I'll just have this lady on the tom-tom. And she's saying, you're going the wrong, make a U-turn, make a U-turn, turn here, turn here. And man, I thought, I don't know who's going to cuss first, me or her. And she's telling me to, oh, not really, I would never do that. Uh, but she was, she was just yelling at me. I'm like, We've, we're going to turn around at some point. And so I stop and get gas, and I eventually, I eventually turn around. But that GPS was trying to tell me, you're going the wrong way, and here's rerouting. If you turn here, you can get there. I don't know if you've ever had GPS on your phone where once you missed a turn, then it makes a whole new turn that you just pray to God actually works. And so anyway, that's the idea of correction. God's word is profitable to get you where you need to go once you're in the wrong spot. That's the idea. And the heart behind God's word in correcting you He wants to help you get back up. He wants to help you move forward. Uh, I went camping this week. We have some pictures. Uh, I went to the Texas-Oklahoma border. I don't know if you guys have ever been out there by Red River. Uh, I think it's connected to Lake Lake Texacoma. And we were there with some friends. And uh, there's the boys fishing. We brought some canoes, and they were out there fishing. And uh, we ended up catching a catfish. And after we caught the catfish, we used uh, this stink bait. I don't know if you've ever used that. Just, just imagine, you know, getting some, it looks like peanut butter. You put it on toast and give it to your enemy, and it's stink bait. It's really great. And, uh, but anyway, fish love it, and so you put it on this worm, and you put a lead weight on it, and you throw it in, and it sinks to the bottom, and these catfish, they're bottom feeders, and so they go get it. And the next picture shows we ended up catching a catfish. So we get the catfish. Our, my kids, I brought my oldest two, my two boys, they were 10 and 8, they wanted to cook this thing right away. Well, we couldn't cook it right away. It just wasn't time. You know, we'd already had other plans for meals. And so what my buddy did is he got this line, this rope, and he stuck it through his mouth and through his gill. And then we threw it back in the lake, and it was swimming, but it was caught on this thing. It couldn't get out. So it was stuck. And so we kept it trapped and kept it alive. And uh, anyway, we ended up eating it. That was kind of a sad moment because his name was Jerry and then kind of got attached to it. But <laughs> Anyway, that's a whole, actually, I think it was Jerry the Third, to be honest, but anyway, so they catch this, it was, it was really great, and there's another picture of us, we, uh, one of the guys we were with caught a hog, he shot a hog, and uh, we got to see him skin it and gut it and do all that, and that was interesting, and I got to learn what it means to not shoot a hog in the gut, that's never a good, a gut shot isn't good, and, and I learned and smelled why that's a bad idea, and then the next picture, uh, that's us walking in a clear spot, I mean, it was just beautiful, it was beautiful two days of just beauty, it was wonderful weather, and that's close to dusk, the sun's about to go down, and we went out hunting, and, but there was a night where we're walking, 
where uh, we got, I don't want to use the word lost, but we were misdirected by ourselves and we didn't know exactly where we were. We knew where we were, but not all the way like what people would enjoy if they were with you. And so we, we were there and we, walk, we had to walk through this brush. I don't know if you've ever walked through thick, nasty brush, thorns and thistles and all kinds of stuff. Why had my 10-year-old and my 8-year-old and my 8-year-old, he starts falling down. He fell down the first time and he got thorns and, and splinters in his hands and he's crying and I'm like, buddy, we got to keep going. And he falls again. And of course, I feel bad. I had to walk behind him because when I was walking in front of him, you know, I'm just moving branches out of the way. But what happens after you move out of the way? The branch comes back. And, uh, you know, that's funny the first couple times, but you don't want to keep doing that to your kids. And so like, you know, so I was behind him. I was letting them go in front of me. And uh, anyway, he fell a number of times and he started crying, which if I were eight, I would too. He started crying, and I'm like, buddy, we have to get back to camp. I cannot fix this. There's nothing we could do. Mom's not coming. A helicopter's not coming. There is nothing. We have to get back to the campsite. We will take care. Any splinters, any cuts, any whatever. We have to get there first. You cannot stay here. You will die. You will die if you stay out here. It's too cold. It's too dark. You're not, you have to keep going. Well, he kept going. We get home, and we see mom, and of course, we take a shower immediately. It was so fun. We didn't have to take a shower for three days. It was beautiful. My wife made me bring toothbrushes, but we didn't use them. It was just so much fun. I remember sleeping one night. I had the sleeping bag over. We got to see the stars. I was like, I was like biting dirt in my teeth. I'd, I'd never eaten so much dirt in my life, and I loved it. It was just so great. I just want to go hunting again right now. But uh, anyway, we got home. We were telling mom all about the trip. It was so much fun. They loved it. And you know how moms are just smart? They just know. She's asking, like, what was the best part and, and what was the difficult part? And, and one of my son that fell multiple times, he started talking about what was difficult, and he started crying. And mom, who's keen and smart, she understands. She goes, you're proud of yourself that you kept walking, aren't you? And he started crying as he was eating and shaking his head. It's like, we're proud of you, buddy. They had never been camping before in their life. And, uh, and it was just a wonderful time. I would not have left my son out there. You would have to kill me. I would have to be dead for me to leave my son out there. I was going to get him back to camp. And I knew how hard that was for him. I knew how difficult that was for him. God loves you and wants to get you back to camp. When you've fallen and you feel like, I'm not going to make it. And you feel like, I'm too shameful, I'm too weak. I can't walk, I can't do whatever, I've got guilt and shame. I can never come to God with my, my sin. I can never come to him with my problems because I'm just an imposter, I'm a loser, I'm a fake, I'm a hypocrite. If you don't know how to come to the throne of mercy, God's word can show you how. Do you know that when Jesus died for you and he shed his blood for you, his blood covered you. He bore the weight of your shame and guilt. He, he loved you enough to where all of your junk was piled on his back and he suffered and took all the wrath of God that was due you, that you deserved, all of God's just wrath against sin that's so horrible. Our sin is horrible and Jesus took that for you and me. And God's word is profitable for correction because it brings us right to the throne of mercy that Jesus, he put on flesh and he was tempted in every way in which you've been tempted. He understands our weaknesses. He knows what our issues are. And still, yet, he calls out to you, 
follow me. Come to me. Take on my burden. Let me help you. Let me take the yoke. Let me drag you. I will drag you back to camp if you let me. You come to God with your guilt and shame because Jesus paid the way. You know what's between you and the throne? The same Jesus who loves you and died for you. And he wants to bring you to himself. So God's word is profitable for correction. The heart direction we have toward that is let God restore you. Let God restore you. And really the key for that, I just want to insert this in. I, I want you to think about this. You know, some people believe in, uh, you know, grace is cheap. They say grace is cheap. When pastors like me preach about God's goodness, they think, eh, you're a little emotional, Jack. You're, you're a little like God is just a little too okay with sin. No. If you do not cherish sin, if you hate your sin, you come to God broken and he'll lift you up. I want to I share a verse with you in Psalm 66, verses 18 through 20. The psalmist says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. That's a true statement. If I had held on to sin, like, no, I actually love sin, but I just want to be easily forgiven, you're, you're not, you're not going to hear, God's not going to hear that. That's not how God works. That's not called mercy. That's called idolatry. That's you saying, Jesus isn't good enough for me to even hate this sin, so you hate sin, you hate Jesus, and you love your sin. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, but truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love for me. Why? Because right in the beginning of that sentence in verse 18, if I had cherished, what the psalmist is saying is, I don't want my sin. I don't love my sin. If you turn from your sin and say, God, I don't want this. I don't want this. If it's gluttony, like I deal with gluttony, I want to eat more than I should. And I turn to the fridge instead of the Bible. That's my thing. Entertainment. I want to waste my time with entertainment. I want to waste my time with curiosity. I'm just an inquisitive person. I'm interested in everything. Things I'll never do in my life. I'll watch a 30-minute YouTube video on. I'm just inquisitive. I want to waste my time and waste what God has called me to do on things that don't matter, things that I, I try to replace God with. And that's not what God wants for me. So when I turn to him and say, God, I know I've fallen again. I really hate this. I hate that I keep doing this. Would you forgive me? That's called not cherishing your sin. That's called hating your sin and coming before him. God's word is good and helpful to restore us back to him. So God's word is beneficial and rewarding by teaching us the truth. It stops us from hurting ourselves and others and helps us get back up. And number four, it shows us how to live. God's word shows us how to live. This is where Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this isn't really Paul's intellect. This is God moving through him. You know, teaching, reproof, and correction, that's things you can do, and you have to be with people to reprove them, to correct them. You have to tell them. But then he used the application word, this idea of training. You do all this in righteousness. You teach for righteousness' sake to teach people in righteousness. You reprove them in righteousness. You correct them in righteousness. But training in righteousness, that takes you saying, here, let me walk with you and show you how to live. I'll show you the map, but now I'm going to take you there. This, the idea of, of training is like a travel guide. Let me show you how to live. I want to walk with you. And this is really where discipleship is key. 
And I, I think of, of all four applications, ways that God's word is used, I wonder if this is not the weakest link for the American church, for our area, for this area. We can train people how to look like us, dress like us, listen to music like us. That's easy. Like the football teams we like. That's easy to train someone in that. Follow me as I like all these things. Right now, I really want to get a truck. I don't know why. Every truck I see drive down the road, I think, that's the truck. Or, that's the, or no, not that truck. Have you seen a truck so small? You're like, you can't call that a truck. That's like a car with a big back. It's just disappointing. It's like embarrassing. Like, I would never drive you. I just could, you couldn't, you can't stand up to real trucks. You know, you want a big truck. And I've been having to bring my desires to God, saying, God, I, I know I don't need a truck. I just want a truck. I just want a truck. I don't know why. I just really feel like I need to drive this truck. I actually looked at, a, I looked at pictures of a Traverse uh, because a Traverse could hold my family. I have five kids, and my wife just has a bunch of kids, and so, like, you know, it's her fault, and, you know, a truck, a truck has a big cab. You can get a truck with a big cab, but you can't fit seven people in there, and so it's like, ah, you know, like, and I, I saw this Traverse. It makes a lot more sense. If we were to ever get a new vehicle, that would be the best vehicle. That would be wise. That would be smart. I looked at the picture of the Traverse. looked at the picture of the Chevy Silverado that was big and beefy and bulky, and the rims were nice and all that kind of stuff. I'm looking at the two. I'm like, I don't want to drive that. I want to drive this one. This is the only one that I want to drive. This is the one I want to be in. And I've realized that my desire is I need a man. I need someone to show me this is how you live. This is, this is where you bring those desires. You're going to want things that you're going to have to bring before God and say, God, I want what you want. That takes a personal relationship. That takes something more than teaching, reproof, and correction. That takes someone that you trust and love to say, hey, let me show you how to live. I've been there. I've done that. I've, you know, I've had those conversations. I've had those mess-ups. I've had those mistakes. Let me show you how to live. And God's Word is profitable for that. God's Word can teach you exactly how to live. So, God's word will teach you the truth. It'll stop you from hurting yourselves from others. It will help you get back up, and it will show you how to live. The question is, what are we doing with God's word? What are you doing with God's word? There are so many Sundays where I look out, and this isn't a, a, a correction or rebuke to you. There's so many times I look out and I say, how come you're not writing something down? Why are you not writing this? Are, are you just wanting God to tell you something good and then forget it. I know you don't remember my sermons on Wednesday. I don't remember my sermons on Wednesday. You're just hearing it. I spent a week studying it. Why aren't you writing this down? Are you making disciples? Are you sitting down with a son or a child or a grandchild or a friend at work? In the back of the, of the programs, every single week, we put questions on there, questions you can ask. You can ask a friend at work. You can make that awkward transition of, hey, man, yeah, I was at I was at church and we were studying this verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and it talked about how God's word is good to show us how to live and to correct us and to help us get back up. And this has just been meaning. I've been praying through this through this week. What do you do with God's word on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Are you willing to share God's word with others? Are you willing to walk with someone? God, open the door for the word. Show me how to train this person up. God's word is profitable for training in righteousness. But you've got to know it. You've got, to, you've got to know it in your mind and in your heart. You've got to have something to share. There are a lot of Christians that don't train anybody in righteousness because they don't know how. And the reason they don't know how is they don't, they don't try. They don't practice. 
They don't, they don't take God's word and write it down and say, God, what is true? Let me teach. Let me correct. Let me reproof. How, how many, I've, I've used this example before. Imagine if a guy who's been a plumber for 20 years and my son wants to become a plumber. And I go to that man, man that's been a plumber for 20 years. He's a successful plumber. I go to him and say, hey, you've been a plumber for 20 years. Could you just show my son just a little bit about plumbing? He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm no teacher. I wasn't gifted. I'm no pastor. I'm no preacher. I said, no, 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 no. I just want you to show him. You've been a plumber for 20 years. Can you just show him how to plumb? You know, I don't know what you call it. Can you show him how to do it? No, no, no. I can't do that. I can't do it. That, that would be crazy, right? We would sit here and say, that's ridiculous. A man that's been a Christian for 20 years, if you were to ask him, who are you discipling? I don't disciple anybody. Who are you showing how to do this? I don't know how to show anybody. I'm not a teacher. I'm not gifted that way. I'm introverted. I'm fill in the blank. God's word is profitable for training in righteousness, and we ought to use it to show someone how to live. So, Anyway, I got a little rough there at the end. I'm sorry. My heart has been burdened. We have such a great church family, don't we? There are good people here that know the scriptures. We have to get beyond, not without, we have to get beyond a Bible study, and we have to start creating relationships with people. It's not without the Bible study. Have the, you need God's Word in order to know what to share but if you're not writing anything down, if you're not memorizing anything, if you're not learning anything and, and sharing that with someone else, the cycle is broken. There's something missing there. God's word is profitable for training to show us how to live, and we ought to use it to show others how to live. So I hope you take that with love, and let's pray, and Nathan's going to come up and teach us how to, how to apply this. Father, we love you, and I thank you for your word. You know the burden of my heart. You even know my weakness and my own fears with training and righteousness. I pray that you would use this moment for them, that this would be for your church. You are the shepherd. Shepherd, You are the one that leads us and guides us and directs us. And I pray, would you use Grace Community Church as a light? Would you use each man and woman in here to share your word with others? I pray that this would not be a time of entertainment or consumption, that we would not just be wanting someone to tickle our ears with interesting facts. Would you set a fire in our hearts? Would you urge us? Would you convict us? Would you push us even to share your word with a lost and dying world? We know that two people, at least two people die every second, and they walk into eternity, and some of them don't know you, and some of that is because we're not sharing with them. Would you start a revival in this church, in my own heart? Would you start a revival here that, that we as a church family would, would share your word with others, that we would share the gospel, that people would hear about Jesus, that they would see it in our lives, that we would build relationships with others so that we can reprove and correct and train them in righteousness. I pray that you would move us as a church family beyond teaching and into the many good ways that you have in your word. Your word is so good, and we don't deserve it. And you've written it down, and you've copied it down. We have more resources than, we, than any of your people have ever had for thousands of years. We, you have given us much. Would you help us to be good stewards? Would we be faithful with what you've given us? Help us not to sit idly by. Help us not to be spectators. 
I pray that you would push us, bring us on the team, put us on the field. Let no man walk out of here that doesn't know that you're calling him to share your truth with the people at his work, the people in his home, the people on his street, the people that he passes by. I pray that every man and woman and child in here would be, would be a true follower and disciple of you. Use your word to train us in righteousness, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace, I love you. Amen. So as we've walked through these last few weeks through our Habits of Grace series, we've had this progression of a growing habit of connecting with God through his word. At first, we looked at creating a pattern of connecting consistently with God. We talked about four times, four times a week at least. And then we talked about including a friend in that habit. We're not intended to read the scriptures alone, so we want to include a friend. And then we talked about living it out. It's not enough to just take in God's word, but to let it transform your life and change the way that you act. Now, this morning, our target habit is this key idea of passing it on. Because if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've experienced the life-transforming power of God's word. And that's not something that we want to keep to ourselves. That's why this week we're talking about this target habit of taking what you're reading, take what you're learning, and pass it on. So the target or the, the take-home challenge that we want to use to give a little context to this is, is to identify a key truth from what you're reading this week and pass it on to someone who would benefit from hearing that truth. So an example, um, this morning I was reading through Numbers chapter 11. Um, the Israelites, they're out in the wilderness. They're grumbling about the manna. Oh, the manna, this is all we've had to eat. Can't, can't we have something else? And God, in his grace, says, okay, I'll give you enough meat for a month. Moses comes right back at God and he says, but God, there's so many of us. There's 600,000 foot soldiers among us. If we killed all the animals, if we caught all the fish in the sea, there's no way there'd be enough meat for a month. And God comes back to Moses and he says, is the Lord's arm weak? Now you will see whether or not what I have promised will happen to you. And it does, right? God provides. He provides the quail abundant, more above and beyond what they could eat. So the truth that I took from that this morning is that God is powerful and he's faithful to deliver on his promises. So I know that I'm going to benefit from that truth this week, but if it were to stop with me, I'd be missing out on something. My prayer now is that God would reveal to me someone in my life who would benefit from this truth of God's power and his faithfulness. That's the idea of this take-home challenge. So as you're reading this week, identify a truth that God is speaking to your heart, and then ask him, God, who would you have me share this with? As we, together as a church, build this habit of connecting consistently with God through his word, it's my prayer that our lives are transformed, that our body experiences an incredible unity as we read through scripture together, and that our community is transformed as we are a people marked with our lives are marked by the truth that we read and that we spread the word throughout this community. I hope that you'll join me in praying towards those ends too. Um, this Habits of Grace series, we're wrapping up this morning, but this idea of connecting with God through his word is going to be a theme for us throughout the year. So join me in praying throughout the year that God would transform our lives, bring unity to our church, and transform our community as well. 
as we uh, let that truth sink deep into us uh, for this week, would you stand with me and, and receive the words of our sending as we consider what it will look like for us to go be the church this week, taking God's word and passing it on to the people around us. We have been motivated by the love God has shown us in Christ. We have been united in our worship of the living God together. We have been encouraged by our fellowship with one another. And we have been equipped by the preaching of God's word. Now go in the power of the Holy Spirit. In all that you do, love God boldly. And whatever family, whatever neighborhood, whatever workplace, whatever school God has placed you, love people sacrificially. And in whatever stage of life you find yourself, look for opportunities to faithfully lead others to do the same. You are the church. Now go be the church. Grace, we are sent.